0: Hello again and welcome back to another episode of The Divine Lantern. We are so glad that you could tune in today. With the blessing of His Eminence Metropolitan Basilios, the Antiochian Orthodox Archdiocese presents a podcast to educate, empower, and enrich. I'm Alana from the Antiochian Christian Orthodox Youth, and I am your host for the week, where we start this episode with the Gospel reading and a sermon from St. Cyril of Alexandria on the rich man and Lazarus. This will be followed by a Did You Know segment, and we will then conclude with a continuation of our series on monastic saints.
1: Luke chapter 16, 19-31 The Lord said, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, full of sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died, and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died, and was buried, and in Hades. Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. A Sermon from St. Cyril of Alexandria When Solomon was offering up prayers in behalf of his kingdom, he somewhere said unto God, Give me wisdom, even that which abides by your throne. And God praised him for earnestly desiring such blessings as these. For there is nothing better for men than sacred gifts, of which one worthy of our acceptance and that perfects in blessedness those who have been accounted worthy of it. It is the wisdom which God bestows. For it is the sight of the mind and heart and the knowledge of every good and profitable thing. And it is our duty also to be armoured of such gifts as these, that being counted worthy thereof, we may rightly and without error approach the Saviour's words. For this is useful for us unto spiritual improvement, and leads us into a praiseworthy and blameless life. Come, therefore, that being made partakers of the wisdom which is from above, we may examine the meaning of the parable now set before us. It is necessary, however, I think, in the first place to mention what was the occasion which led to his speaking of these things, or what Christ intended to illustrate in so excellently sketching and describing the parable set before us. The Saviour, therefore, was perfecting us in the art of well-doing, and commanding us to walk uprightly in every good work, and to be in earnest in adorning ourselves with the glories which arise from the virtuous conduct. For he would have us be lovers of one another, and ready to communicate, prompt to give, and merciful, and careful of showing love to the poor, and manfully persisting in the diligent discharge of this duty. And he especially admonished the rich in this world to be careful, and to guide them, in the way which becomes like saints. He said, Sell your possessions and give alms. Make your purses that grow not old, a treasure that does not fail forever in heaven. Now the commandment indeed is beautiful and good and salutary, but it did not escape his knowledge. That is, it is impossible for the majority to practice it. For the mind of man has ever been so to speak, infirm in the discharge of those duties, which are orderous and difficult, and to abandon wealth and possessions and the enjoyment which they give, is not a thing very acceptable to any, inasmuch as the mind is early clothed and entangled, and it is wear in indissoluble cords which bind it to the desire of pleasure. As being therefore good and loving unto men, he has provided for them a special kind of help, lest eternal and never-ending poverty should follow upon wealth here, and everlasting torment succeed to the pleasure of the present time. For make yourselves friends, he says, of the unrighteous mammon, that when it has failed, they may receive you into eternal tabernacles. And this, then, is the advice of the one providing them with something which they can do. For if, he says, you cannot be persuaded to give up this pleasure, loving wealth, and to sell your possessions and make distribution to those who are in need. At least be diligent in the practice of inferior virtues. Make for yourselves friends with the unrighteous man; That is, do not consider your riches as belonging to yourselves alone. Open wide your hand to those who are in need. Assist those in poverty and pain. Comfort those who have fallen into extreme distress. Console with those who are in sorrow or oppressed with bodily maladies. And with the want of necessaries and comfort also the saints who embrace a voluntary poverty that they may serve God without distraction. Nor shall your doing so be unrewarded. For when your earthly wealth abandons you, as you reach the end of your life, then shall they make you partakers of their hope and of the consolation given them by God. For he, being good and kind to man, will lovingly and bountifully refresh those who have labored in this world and more especially such as have wisely and humbly and soberly borne the heavy burden of poverty. And somewhat similar advice the wise Paul also gives to those who live in the wealth and abundance respecting those in misery. Your abundance shall be to supply their falling short, in order that also their abundance may supply your falling short. But this is the advice of one who enjoins that simply which Christ spoke. Make to yourself friends of the unrighteous mammon, so that the commandment is well worthy of your admiration, and that our refusal so to act will cause our ruin, and bring us down to the inextinguishable flame, and to an unavailing remorse. He plainly shows by weaving for us the present parable. For there was a certain rich man, he says, that he clothed in purple and fine linen, feasting sumptuously every day, And a certain poor man, whose name was Lazarus, had been cast down at his gate full of sores. Here observe, I pray, and mark accurately the Saviour's words. For while it was easy to have said that there was such and such a rich man, whoever it might be, and he does not say so, but simply calls him a rich man, and he mentions the poor man by name, what conclusion therefore must we draw? that the rich man, as being uncompassionate, was nameless in God's presence. For he has somewhere, said by the voice of the psalmist, concerning those who do not fear him, I will not make mention of their names with my lips, while, as I said, the poor man is mentioned by the name of the tongue of God. But let us look at the pride of the rich man puffed up for things of no real importance, who is clothed, it says, in purple and fine linen, that is, His study was to deck himself in beautiful attire, so that his raiment was of great price, and he lived in never-ceasing banquetings. For such is the meaning of his feasting every day, besides which it adds that he feasted sumptuously, that is, prodigally. All the luxury, therefore, of that rich man consisted in the things of this sort, in clothing clean, delicate and embroidered with linen, and dyed with purple, so as to gratify the eyes of the beholders. And what is the result? Differing but little from the figures in statuary and painting, the rich man is indeed admired by those who are destitute of sense. But his heart is full of pride and haughtiness. He has high thoughts of himself and is boastful, and while there is nothing of excellence in his mind, he makes variously colored hues a reason for his empty pride. His delight is in the expensive banquets, in music and revelings. He has numerous cooks who labour to provoke gluttony, by carefully preparing meats. His cupbearers are beautifully attired, he has singing men and singing women, and the voices of flatterers. Such were the things in which the rich man lived. For the disciple of Christ certifies us, saying, that all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of the world. Meanwhile Lazarus, bound fast by sickness and poverty, was cast down. He says, at his gate, for the rich man dwelt in lofty halls and spacious mansions nobly built, whereas the poor man was not so much laid as cast down, thrown there in neglect and not deemed worthy of any account. Cut off from compassion and care, he would have liked to satisfy his hunger, having gathered the worthless morsels that fell from the rich man's table. He was tormented, moreover, by a severe and incurable malady. Yes, even the dogs, it says, licked his sores. And that, as it seems, not to injure himself, but rather, so to speak, as sympathising with him, and tending to him. For with their tongues they ally their own sufferings, removing with them that which pains them, and gently soothing the sore. But the rich man was more cruel than the beast, for he felt neither sympathy for him nor compassion, but was full of all mercilessness. And what the result was, the outline of the parable teaches us in what follows. But it is too long to tell now, for lest my discourse should prove more than sufficient for my hearers, and the fatigue beyond the due measure to him who speaks, stopping now from due regard for the good of both myself and you. I will speak to you again upon these things in our next meeting. If Christ our common Saviour grant me the ability to do so, by whom and with whom, to God the Father be praise dominion with the holy spirit forever and ever amen
0: a very beautiful sermon by saint cyril of alexandria and now a series of readings from the philokalia take your weekly spiritual dose and reflect on the words of our holy neptic fathers with this week's philokalic nourishment pray persistently about everything And then you will never do anything without God's help. Undistracted prayer is a sign of love for God, but careless or distracted prayer is a sign of love for pleasure. St. Mark the Ascetic. In Psalm
2: 23, the rod is said to signify God's judgment, and the staff his providence. So he who has received spiritual knowledge of these things is able to say, Thy rod and thy staff have comforted me. Saint Maximus the Confessor Just as some snakes live in glens and others in houses, so there are passions which take shape in our thoughts while others express themselves in action. It is possible, however, for them to change from one type to the other. Saint Mark the Ascetic.
0: On October 30th, in the Holy Orthodox Church, we commemorate the Holy Martyrs Zenobius and his sister Zenobia in Cilicia. The stout-hearted Zenobia, though a woman, with thee, O Zenobius, the sword endureth. On the 30th, Zenobia and brother were beheaded. Inflamed with zeal for the faith, these two, with great love, gave away their riches to the poor. Because they were so open-handed, God shielded them from all evil by men or demons. The generous and merciful hands of Bishop Zenobius were endowed by God with the gift of wonderworking, so that Zenobius was able to heal the sick. At a time of persecution, the judge Elysius seized him and threatened to kill him if he did not offer worship to idols. Holy Zenobius replied, Life without Christ is not life, but death, and death for Christ's sake is not death, but life. When Zenobius was put to harsh torture, his sister Zenobia presented herself before the judge and said, I also want to drink this cup of suffering and be crowned with that wreath. They were both beheaded with the sword in about 285 and thus brother and sister entered into the immortal kingdom of Christ the King. On this day we also commemorate the Apostles Cleopas and Artemis of the Seventy and Venerable Joseph and Kidiachos, Patriarchs of Constantinople. By their intercessions, O Christ God, have mercy upon us. Amen. Did you know that the Orthodox churches are divided into three sections? Stay tuned to find out more. Within the interior of an Orthodox Church, there are three main sections, the narthex, the nave, and the sanctuary. The narthex, located upon the entry of the church, serves as the area where the faithful prepare to enter the main church. Here the faithful light their candles, symbolizing that Christ is the world's light. It is here also that the faithful venerate the icons. The nave is the largest section of an Orthodox Church, sitting between the narthex and the sanctuary, i.e. the altar, and is the largest of the three sections. It is where the faithful gather for worship for all the services. The nave is separated from the sanctuary by usually a wooden icon screen with three doors called the iconostasis. The walls of the nave are decorated with icons and murals with hanging lamps before them. The two side doors of the Iconostasis are used by the deacons and altar servers, with the centre door only used by clergy members. Within the nave lays the solia, which is usually a raised floor or platform, that extends beyond the sanctuary from the Iconostasis into the nave. The sanctuary, which lies beyond the Iconostasis, is set aside for the clergy and altar servers. Within the centre of the sanctuary is the Holy Altar, representing the throne of God with the Lord himself invisibly present. The tabernacle is kept at the centre of the Holy Altar. In the Orthodox Church, the reserved sacrament is always kept in the tabernacle on the altar table. The tabernacle is elaborately decorated, typically wrought with gold, silver or wood, and precious adornments, and is often shaped like a small church building. In the Old Testament, the tablets on which God had written the Ten Commandments were kept in the tabernacle. In the New Testament, it is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself who dwells here. His precious body and blood are ever kept in the tabernacle. God is ever-present here in an authentic way. Therefore, the Orthodox Christian performs the sign of the cross whenever he or she passes before the holy altar. The Table of Preparation is a small table to the left of the Holy Altar behind the iconostasis. Here the people's gifts of bread and wine are prepared before the Divine Liturgy and later translated to the Holy Altar during the Great Entrance. The Sanctuary Area stands for the Kingdom of God. The Altar Table is where Christ is enthroned both as the Word of God in the Gospels and as the Lamb of God in the Eucharistic Sacrifice. Around the table are the angels and saints inspired by the Holy Spirit in perpetual adoration. Thus, the Orthodox Church is that place where heaven and earth unite during divine services. The following segment is a reading from the Lives of the Saints, or Synaxarion. We have chosen to continue our collection of readings on the lives of the monastic saints, of which we are thankful to bring a selected number of edifying accounts. Monasticism is the ancient Christian practice of withdrawal from the world in order to dedicate oneself fully and intensely to the life of the gospel, seeking union with Jesus Christ. The focus of monasticism is on theosis, the process of perfection to which every Christian is called. We hope that these synaxarions will encourage you to put on the likeness of Christ, as did these ascetics and vessels of grace.
2: St. Anthony the Great St. Anthony the Great goes by several other names, including Anthony of Egypt, Anthony of the Desert, And Anthony the Anchorite. Even though Christian monasticism was a practice which already occurred in the deserts of Egypt, many call him the father of monks because of his teachings and guidance on ascetic life. The Orthodox Church celebrates his feast day on January 17. Most of what we know about the life of Saint Anthony was written by Saint Athanasios the Great, who knew him to be a holy man. Saint Athanasios says of him, His countenance had a great and wonderful grace. This gift also he had from the Saviour. Neither in height nor breadth was he conspicuous above others, but in the serenity of his manner and the purity of his soul. Saint Anthony was born in the year 251 to wealthy and pious Christian parents. When he was about 18 years old, he lost his parents, and was left to care for his younger, unmarried sister. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 19, verse 21, Jesus says to the rich man, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, and follow me. These words were St. Anthony's inspiration to embark on his ascetic journey and upon hearing them in his twenties, he distributed all he had to the needy, placed his sister with a group of Christian virgin women and began his ascetic life. He lived simply, close to the village where he was born and worked with his hands to earn his livelihood. He undertook almsgiving for the poor and studied the ways of other ascetics in the area from whom he took guidance. He became a disciple of one particular ascetic, who advised him on spiritual life. In this period of his life, the devil often subjected Saint Anthony to temptations of a carnal nature, troubled him with thoughts of his former life, and caused doubt about the path he'd chosen. Saint Anthony was able to overcome these attacks by constant prayer and meditation on Christ. He realised the devil would not give up so easily, So over time, his prayer intensified and his way of life grew stricter and more restrained. Eventually, Saint Anthony would eat only after sunset, sleep only on every third day and pray the remainder of the time. But the devil would not cease to torment him and would appear to him in monstrous forms. Saint Anthony would protect himself with the life-creating cross and would overpower the devil. With prayer. Saint Anthony sought greater solitude and so moved away from his village into a tomb in a graveyard. Here he would be attacked, wounded, and left for dead by devils who intended to kill him, but upon regaining consciousness, Saint Anthony requested to the friend who found him wounded and unconscious that he be taken back to the tombs. Saint Anthony's faithfulness to God proved greater than the damage which the devil could do. St. Anthony set off for the desert in his endeavour to increase his labours further. He found an abandoned fortress in the mountain in which he dwelt, and despite incessant attacks by the devil to drive him out of this place, he continued to train himself in fasting and continuous prayer. At age 35, St. Anthony received the blessing of his spiritual guide to travel into the Thurbey Desert and live as a hermit. The devil continued to attempt to hinder his journey by placing temptations of silver and gold in his path. But Saint Anthony continued to resist. Saint Anthony spent 20 years living in isolation. These years were filled with constant struggle against the devil. But by the end, he had achieved perfect calm. Over time, friends of St. Anthony began to entreat him for spiritual guidance and gradually monasteries began to surround his cell. St. Anthony acted as father and guide to those who sought salvation in the desert. He encouraged and inspired many people in the way of ascetic living, including those who were already monks and taught them not to fear demonic attacks, but to fight against them with the power of the cross. St. Anthony left the desert to defend Christianity on more than one occasion, with the first being during the persecution of Christians during the reign of Emperor Maximian. He attended the trials and interrogations of the persecuted, and even accompanied them to their executions. God preserved his life through this period, and following it, gave him the gift of wonder-working, which he used to cast out demons And heal the sick through prayer. However, St. Anthony eventually sought greater isolation in the inner parts of the desert where he would spend 85 years. Many people loved St. Anthony and sought his advice. Not long before his earthly passing, he instructed his brethren to strive to be united first with the Lord and then with the Saints, so that after death they may receive you as familiar friends into the everlasting dwellings. Saint Anthony died peacefully in the year 356. He was 105 years old. According to his wishes he received a secret burial in the desert by two of his disciples, Saint Athanasios of Alexandria and Saint Serapion of Thymaios. Today St. Anthony is remembered through the biography written by St. Athanasios who says that he was spoken of everywhere and was admired by everyone and was sought even by those who had not seen him, which is evidence of his virtue and of a soul dear to God. The Trapparian of St. Anthony the Great By emulating the ways of Elias the Zealot and following the straight paths of the Baptist, O Father Anthony, you made the desert a city and upheld the world by your prayers. Therefore, entreat Christ God that our souls be saved. Kentarchion of St. Anthony the Great. You rejected the tumults of this life and lived a life of stillness, emulating the Baptist in every way, most righteous one. Therefore, we honour you with him, Father Anthony, the foundation of the Fathers.
0: Thank you all for tuning in to this installment of the Divine Lantern. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe on your favorite podcast provider and don't forget to share with your friends and family. Have a blessed day and we hope to catch you next week.